Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative. senior U.S. Senator Charles Schumer, the majority leader, was in Plattsburgh this week to promote legislation that would sanction China for its role in contributing to the overdose crisis. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley was there and filed this report. Majority Leader Schumer included the Fend-Off Fentanyl Act in the National Defense Authorization Act, which passed the Senate with bipartisan support. The Democrat says his provision would dramatically reduce the flow of fentanyl into the country. China sends Chinese companies, with the Chinese government just looking the other way and winking, sends the precursor chemicals that are made into fentanyl. They send them to Mexico. Mexico then, in its labs, these drug dealers and others, changes it into fentanyl and sends it across the border. Schumer cited a number of factors challenging control of the drug. The fact that it comes from overseas, the fact that it's relatively cheap and can be easily made, and the fact that it is added to lots of other drugs. It's not fentanyl alone. It's heroin laced with fentanyl, methamphetamine laced with fentanyl, even Oxycontin laced with fentanyl. So it's sort of more ubiquitous. Schumer cited data showing in 2021, nearly 107,000 Americans died from an overdose with the majority related to fentanyl. Last year, the Drug Enforcement Administration seized enough doses of fentanyl to supply a lethal dose to every American. Schumer says the legislation would not usually be part of the defense bill, but he wanted it included in must-pass legislation. It gives the president emergency powers to put sanctions on China, tough sanctions that will hurt their economy and hurt their jobs, unless they stop the flow of these drugs out of China. And we do the same with Mexico. Unless the Mexican government, which it can do, shuts down a lot of these drug labs and makes an effort, they will get sanctions as well. So it's the toughest thing that's been passed to stop the flow of fentanyl here to the North Country, to New York, and throughout America that has really happened. And the bill is called the Fend Off Fentanyl Act. And we now need the House to go along. During his visit to the University of Vermont Health Network's CVPH Medical Center, Senator Schumer also highlighted funds that will be allocated to hospitals across the state as a result of rules changes by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Schumer says most upstate hospitals will see an increase in reimbursement rates. The changes we've gotten in the hospital reimbursement formula will get a billion dollars, one billion dollars to upstate hospitals every year. Forty million of that will go to the North Country. So not only does CVPH get 10 million, but our other hospitals get about 30 amongst them. And that's a huge change. And when you know that's in your budget permanently, you can plan so much better. And it's one of the biggest shots in the arm of federal funding that upstate New York for hospitals for health care has ever gotten. And I'm very proud that I was able to push that through. 
Provisions of Senator Schumer's Fendoff Fentanyl Act include declaring international trafficking of fentanyl a national emergency and allowing special measures by the Treasury Department to deter fentanyl-related money laundering. The defense bill it is attached to must pass by the end of the year. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. New York Governor Kathy Hochul announced a new strategy this week to bolster the state's cybersecurity. The Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus has more. According to Hochul, $600 million is going into readying the state to deal with cybersecurity threats to state and local governments and the private sector, as well as individuals. She says the state's strategy includes three prongs, unification, resilience, and preparedness, and will be overseen by Colin Ahern, named last year as the state's first chief cyber officer. And now, please join me in welcoming the 57th governor of the great state of New York, Governor Kathy Hochul. Hochul outlined the strategy during an appearance in Brooklyn. Unification means, very simple, aligning whole of state government against this problem. I have a lot of agencies, a lot of points of entry, a lot of vulnerabilities. We're boosting our cybersecurity information, tools, and information services across the state. And it's going to be sophisticated. It's sophisticated. It's not just being attacked and then trying how to figure out cleaning up. I am always, whether it's crime on the streets, crime in our subways, I'd rather be preventing crimes than solving crimes. The same goes with cybersecurity. Hochul says, as in previous eras, New York is at the center of many potential threats. The FBI estimated that more than 25,000 New Yorkers, not across the country, but New Yorkers, fell victim to cybercrimes last year alone. And we are a prime target. This is New York. Prime target for those who want to harm us, disrupt our way of life, not something new to us. And not after nine, during 9-11, our city was attacked because they thought they could have the broadest impact on our national and global economy by hitting the epicenter of the financial world. They hit Wall Street to disrupt our institutions and everything we stand for. The cyber attacks represent the same danger today. Among the speakers hailing the plan was Craig Newmark, the founder of Craigslist. The New York strategy really maintains genuine leadership, both for protecting the people of New York and also inspires the protection of people across the whole country. This is a big deal. It includes a vision that I share with the governor that we're talking unity across all levels of government, across public and private sectors. And for that matter, we're talking about a whole of nation defense, kind of like World War II. We were all expected to play a part, and that's back. Cybersecurity and preventing against ransomware are also on the mind of the federal government. The White House held its first summit on the issue, hosted by First Lady Jill Biden, on Tuesday, with many experts warning that limited funding is in place to defend against data breaches and targeted attacks. Biden administration cybersecurity point person Jake Braun says bolstering cybersecurity is vital to national security, but also a path to new tech careers. There's billions in, in uh, these bills for cybersecurity um, investments as we're rebuilding our infrastructure so that this go around, we can bake cybersecurity into the infrastructure and the economy as we rebuild um, this economy from, from the ground up. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Ian Pickus.
You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. A group of Republicans filed a formal appeal in late July to an appellate court's ruling earlier in the month that ordered New York's congressional lines be redrawn by the state's redistricting commission. The appeal sets up what could be a key showdown in New York's top court, the State Court of Appeals. The outcome could ultimately determine control of the U.S. House of Representatives, now narrowly led by Republicans. Democrats scored a victory in July with the appellate court ruling that found the boundaries for New York's U.S. House districts should be redrawn by the Independent Redistricting Commission, a panel composed of appointees of both parties. Democrats had hailed the ruling. Republicans vowed to fight to the highest court in the state. I spoke with Ed Cox, chair of the New York State Republican Party this week, about the redistricting fight. Well, look, this is huge. The Democrats have a majority in both houses of legislature and they have the governor. They can pass whatever they want with respect to redistricting, of course, after the commission does what it does. And last time around, they, and this is according to the Brennan Center, which is no conservative bastion, obviously. And the Brennan Center said that what they did, they would have packed all the Republican voters into four districts. And that's it. That's all we would have. We had a huge political legal fight. We had to defeat charter amendments. We had to get the commission funded. We had to fight to get our witnesses in front of the commission. The commission finally failed. They did their gerrymandering. We went in. This is a three-year fight. And we went into court in Steuben County and went right up to the highest court in the state, the Court of Appeals, and we won because we were on the right side. We were for, and a special master redrew the districts. They were competitive districts. We were able to compete. Uh, Lee Zeldin ran a great campaign where those competitive districts were on Long Island and then the Hudson Valley. And out of the nine competitive districts, we won eight. And for 11 seats, as opposed to the four in which they would have gerrymandered, and that's the difference in the House of Representatives. Now they're coming back. And they got the chief judge, DeFiori, who wrote our opinion. They got her fired. They picked on some ethical stuff, and uh, she's, okay, I'm not going to go through that. And she resigned the chief judge. And then they informed the governor, you're not going to get the nomination. We're going to tell you who you will nominate. And they turned down, just to prove it, they turned down just with a commission, uh, a judiciary commission vote. I mean, it couldn't be worse. Talk about no following of the uh, separation of powers doctrine that's so important to our democracy. They tell the governor, in essence, here's who you're going to – and she did. She nominated a dissenter, associate judge, from our decision, and that is now the chief judge, Rowan Wilson. And then they got this bogus case that was filed, rejected by a Democrat-elected trial judge, and at the appellate division of the Court of Appeals, they got it reversed, and now it's going up to the Court of Appeals again. And we'll see what the Court of Appeals – but they are trying to re-gerrymander these districts – rather than just compete. And look, they're in a better situation coming up to the presidential year, presidential year 2024. Uh, they could, uh, they, they at the top of the ticket, it's not, uh, it's not Lee Zeldin. At the top of the ticket, there will be our presidential candidates, and this is a blue state. A lot of Democrats will show up uh, to vote for the Democratic candidate, and they'll go right down ballot. So we're going to have to compete hard just to hold on to the district. But they want to cheat rather than compete. They want to fix the highest court. They want to have this bogus case coming up, and they expect the highest court to, in fact, reverse, permit the, the legislature, their supermajorities, to, to gerrymander the way they want, not just for congressional districts, 
so that uh, so that Harkeem Jeffries becomes a speaker uh, rather than uh, Kevin McCarthy. But they also will end up gerrymandering the Senate so that they have their supermajority in the Senate forever, as long as they want to do it, which is not good for New York politics. That's shutting the Republican Party out completely. So we're going to fight this. We're fighting it hard. We're going to win it for the sake of democracy in New York State. Well, and let's say we stipulate everything you just said, Ed, and we just look at redistricting in and of itself, the idea of the gerrymander. It's not a very democratic process. And I think if you go back, whichever party, not even just in New York State, ends up in power, that often becomes part of how they maintain their majority. So it really has a problem when it comes to being a democratic process, doesn't it? It destroys the democratic process. I mean, the gerrymander that they did that we challenged and we won, it would have made Elbridge Jerry blush. <laughs> the, the, the district for Nicole Maliotakis, uh, the Nadler district uh, for, <laughs> started up in Harlem, went all the way down to Southern Brooklyn, then took a big detour around the very liberal Park Slope, uh, and then went back down so it could pick up some people for Nadler in Brooklyn. And uh, that Park Slope district then became part of the Republican Nicole Maliotakis's district. So it became a very Democratic district. It was the it, it was just the epitome of a, 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 a an unconstitutional gerrymander. And they paid a price for it. The Court of Appeals took a look at it and said, this is ridiculous, and tossed it out, as did the trial court, as, as did the appellate division. And uh, they gave us a special master who actually drew very good line. We've got to compete now. And competition is good because then the decision is made in the general election, not in uh, the primaries where a small bunch of voters can make a huge difference. So on the Democratic side, it has pushed the Democratic Party, small group of voters. The Democrat, the socialists of the Democratic Party, uh, they, in fact, control a lot of those primaries for our Democratic, the, the, the legislators of the Democratic Party. So the tail of the Democratic Party dog, that is the, Demo, uh, the socialists of the Democratic Party, actually control the legislature. And that legislature, their supermajorities, control what laws get passed. And that's why we have our problem with the criminal laws here in New York State. We have the problems with taxes in New York State. We have problems with regulations in New York State. And in the last two years, 500,000 of our most productive citizens have fled New York or other healthier economic and crime-free areas, Florida, Tennessee, Texas. That's not good for New York. And that's why we need to have fair districts and real competition. We just want to compete. They want to cheat. There's so many things I want to ask you, Ed Cox, the chair of the New York State Republican Party. But you keep mentioning it, that Democrats an overwhelming power in New York with the governor, the Senate Majority Leader, the Assembly Speaker. And, you know, you have as the role as head of the party to make gains for your party. How do you do that in such a blue state, at least as it seems now in the legislature itself? 
Well, we, we did that last November in picking up a record 11 seats in the House of Representatives. Huge. Makes a difference in Washington. And we also picked up two state Senate seats. We only need one more, but we'll get more, more than one more to break their supermajority. And we picked up five seats in the Assembly, and we only need three more seats there to break the supermajority in the Assembly so here in New York State. So we're moving. we got a tough election coming up because it's a president presidential year. But that's why we moved our whole ad hoc team. It wasn't ad hoc team. It was not the party per se. It was a broad-based team of Republican-affiliated groups and people. And that's why we won. And that team has now moved in to run the state party to defend our seats in the House of Representatives and to pick up more seats in the legislature. Is the Senate your best opportunity? Senate, no, the Assembly, too. I mean, we've got a, an Assembly race going on now in Brooklyn, a special election. We've got the better candidate. We've got the better tools to help that candidate win. And I think we can pick up a seat in the special election that's coming up on September 12th. Can you get in a majority in either house? Sure, absolutely. Come the next general elections for the Assembly are in November of 2024, and we're already getting ready for that. That's Ed Cox, chairman of the New York State Republican Party. listening to the Legislative Gazette, program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. New York State is marking the centennial of the state park system by highlighting the 180 sites and their environmental, recreational, and historical importance. State Parks Commissioner Eric Kulisade recently crossed the state on a tour of state parks to help get the celebration started. The Legislative Gazette's Jim Lavoulis connected with the commissioner to discuss the tour and the state of New York's parks. I took a tour of, of 10, 10 sites uh, in two days, uh, started my trip in, in Albany and, and headed south, went to Olana uh, to take in that. It's a state historic site and then went to Walkway where I rode a bike uh, across the walkway, the longest, uh, you know, the longest pedestrian uh, non-motorized uh, elevated bridge in the world. Uh, then to Lake Welch, uh, uh, it was all part of a two-day tour, really, to launch the um, uh, to launch our this, our centennial celebration. 20, 2024 marks the 100th anniversary of the State Parks Act, and so I'm I'm doing this tour to draw attention to kind of the uh, how the the variety and scope and breadth and quality of the New York State Park experience. So, uh, and I got to touch at Lake Welsh, uh, where is a, is, a, is a lake beach down in the lower Hudson Valley, where I first worked as a lifeguard in 1982. That's when I started my parks career. I, I was plenty of other places in between then and now, but I like to think that that's where I started my, started my love for state parks, or, or, or at least my, my professional love for state parks. Uh, then was off to Jones Beach, where I rode a zip line and went showing one of the new amenities we have out there, as well as toured a a sand sculpture we have with our with our centennial logo, and then flew up to Niagara Falls, 
uh, lit the falls, lit the falls in green and gold in honor of the centennial. Next day, I shot a cannon off at Old Fort Niagara, which is one of our great historic sites up there. Then to Ganondigan, which is a Native American a site we have that, that commemorates Native American history and culture of the Haudenosaunee and the Seneca in particular. Uh, and then Green Lakes to go kayaking on a glass bottom or a, a transparent bottom kayak. And finally, ended up uh, back in Albany on, on day two after many, many miles, uh, welcoming the Philadelphia Orchestra to SPAC, which, is, of course, is also in the state park. You know, that's, that's the thing I was trying to draw attention to, and it was a, it was a, it was a magnificent uh, two days with lots of people welcoming and, and, and lots of opportunities to sort of show off our parks. It was just a, a fantastic two days. Going ahead, looking ahead to uh, 2024 and, of course, the rest of this year, uh, what else is planned for the centennial? Uh, you're going to see me out and about. Uh, like I said, you know, the centennial commemorates uh, the 1924 uh, State Parks Act. Plenty of our parks predate the centennial. You know, Niagara Falls is the oldest state park in the country, and it goes back to the 1880s. Uh, but 20, but 1924 was a, was a sort of seminal moment in our history when we went from really focused on protecting uh, scenic places to really focusing on that recreation aspect. In the 10 years following 1924 is when we – built out Jones Beach, a lot of those iconic, big destinations where we can take, take a lot of people in were constructed. And, and, and so we really took on that recreation aspect. And so now is a perfect time to be noting that, especially after we've been through our own sort of renaissance in the last 15 years, Governor Hochul has prioritized uh, making sure our, our parks are back on a 100% uh, premium, top-notch top setting. So in the coming year, I'll be continuing to make trips out, uh, we, uh, we, we, our, our, our tagline is we'll see you out there. So uh, we look forward. I, I will see you out there. We'll see you out there. We're launching something called Share Your Story on our website. We have our website at parks.newyork.gov slash 100. Uh, people can already view a teaser video showing what we're going to showing, uh, you know, highlighting the parks. Uh, and then we will soon be launching uh, Share Your Story on our website, which allows people to, 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 to upload you know, photos from family reunions, wedding proposals, marriages, memorials, uh, barbecues, all kinds of things. I think the, the joy that happens in state parks and sites, and we've been around for so long, I, I think there's a lot of lore that we want to collect and be able to share with, to be able to share with the public and, again, build activities around the park, around our centennial. We will be selling merchandise, uh, you know, centennial-themed merchandise, we will be also be looking at celebrations and performances put on by some of our uh, uh, by our friends groups and by us. Uh, and of course, uh, we'll be celebrating during the centennial year uh, the uh, the solar eclipse in April next year, which will be coming through just in time for the centennial. It's sort of appropriate, right? It, it's coming right through a lot of our parks along the Niagara River, Lake Erie, and the North Country. Uh, and what a, what a perfect way to sort of for the sun to sort of play along with us. So how are the state's 180 state parks doing when it comes to things like infrastructure, facilities, maintenance, that sort of thing? Uh, I take my hat off to Governor Hochul. We are in a really a 15-year renaissance of parks. Uh, you may recall, Jim, back in, uh, back in 2010, I don't even recall those dark years after the financial crisis, uh, there was a proposal on the table to close 55 parks. 
And the people of New York went nuts. I mean, legislators heard no, about nothing more than that, right? That was the number one issue that people were phoning in to, 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 to cry out against. And, and so the legislature put in enough money with, uh, to, to keep the parks open. And since then, sort of from that nadir, We've been on a building. We've been on a building pitch, and we've been able to invest and begin to address what had been decades of underinvestment at that point. And uh, we've also seen our visitation rise. Our visitation was gone from somewhere in the 50s at the time because we just weren't investing, and now we're at 78, 79 million people a year. Uh, so we are in the middle of of a, a great rise. Governor Hochul is committed to continue it. That we still have parks. That we still have closed parks. That we have unable to reopen after storm events. We continue to, we obviously have a highly developed, highly historic park system that needs capital. Uh, so we can, we're continuing to do that. But, uh, but, but Governor Hochul has really made, uh, you know, continuing to rebuild our park system one of her top priorities. So we're optimistic about the future and our continued ability to deliver not just restoration, but also positioning the parks for the future, right? We need to be thinking about sustainability. You know, we're on track now to become 100% um, functioning on renewable energy, uh, renewable elect electricity by 2030. And we've got to be thinking about climate change, right? We've, you know, this, this month or in July, um, Bear Mountain has been closed for uh, four or five weeks now because of that incredible storm event during the week of July 4th. So we have a lot of needs. We have a lot of preparation to do. We have a lot of adaptation we need to do. Uh, to really continue to position ourselves for our, for our second century. Yeah, if I have my numbers correct, the latest state budget includes uh, $200 million for capital improvement projects annually uh, for five years for our state parks. That is correct. And $200 million, that's a record for projection. We've never, we've never had that. Obviously, we had one year of $250 million a couple of years ago, but no, $200 million is, is setting us at the highest level we've ever been. And it just reflects, it reflects both the need and also the confidence that what we're providing people is a, is a quality experience. Uh, you know, I, I, care, I care so much as commissioner about, um, about the visitor experience. You know, you should, you, should, you should drive into our parks and you have a feeling of awe, not a feeling of something that's sort of falling apart. And we still have work to do, but I tell you, you go out to Niagara Falls these days, it's been transformed. Jones Beach has been transformed. If you in the capital district, you think of Thatcher, think of the new visitor center. Thatcher has happened the past year, ten years. I think our parks are looking better than ever, uh, we, and I think we have work to do. But it's uh, and, and that and that funding plus um, the ability to add some staff in this past budget are going to help us address all these issues and, and continue to lead New York as really the premier park system in the country. That's New York State Parks Commissioner Eric Kulisade speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Jim Lavoulis. And that about does it for this week's show. The Legislative Gazette is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. You can listen to the Legislative Gazette anytime at WAMCpodcasts.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for program number 2332. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York State government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina.